you know, like as a member of the United States Congress, you were always on the job. You have you have you have yeah. seeded your uh, private life. Like you can't go into a movie theater and get a and or receive one and think that, hey, it's nobody else's business. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Good Guys Getting Better. I'm Christian Hanley. I'm Aline Boatwright. And I'm John Borden. All right, guys. So it's Sunday afternoon. How you been? What's going on? How's the fans? Well, about as shaky as my video feed right now. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, my my wife has COVID. Oh. My puppy got spayed this week, and it's raining outside. So outside of that, <laughs> everybody's great. That's yeah. It's a fun weekend. No, man, it's been awesome. It's been awesome. Um, and with two little kids under the same roof at the same time, with well, all that going on. The good news is, is that uh, our sons discovered that they could video chat while playing Roblox together. So they spent about five consecutive hours, no food, no bath and breaks, playing Roblox and yelling at each other. Wow. William, I know you know what you're talking about because like, your son does this all the yes. time with his cousins. We, we've actually he's going through withdrawal right now, and uh, he's been, that's been taken away from him. So, uh, Oh. You're in for punishment? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it was just causing an overall de decline in everything. So it just had that no, right. no good. He was doing it with his cousin constantly. Mm. Yeah, we had, to, we had to cut back on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, for people listening who don't know, John's son and my son are best friends. They're the same age. And, uh, yeah. So my son's at his mom's house right now. She's home with a head cold. I mean, I don't know if I told you this before we got started, John, but actually he's bored out of his mind. He's called me on video like three times since last night. <laughs> like, just leaving me, leaving me video messages like, so, how you been, Dad? And I'm like, I same as when i saw you last night i mean like i haven't gone anywhere mm -mm. this is where kids they don't understand the etiquette of conversation no it's no. like it is it is like davis has a smart watch yeah that we can call when he can call us and he can leave like voice messages and mm -hmm. so his voice messages will be random it'll be like dad i saw a cracker okay bye <laughs> But there's an entire part of the conversation leaving <laughs> out, which is probably like, hey, I'm hungry. Uh, can you help me out? And instead, it's just this odd fragment of a thought that you have to decipher because mm -hmm. he doesn't recognize that a conversation is more than just a thought that pops into your head. Uh, right. <laughs> well, I mean, only but know about how it is for your son, you know, also being an only child. But my son, who is an only child, he actually like, over emulates if you will adult speaking patterns and adult conversation so he does this thing even with video messages where you know both of his parents were born in the 80s and so he does the old school like like reel to reel or cassette like voicemail etiquette like answering machine etiquette so he'll be on video i like he is showing me his face and he goes hi dad it's me ronan and i'm like I First of all, there's one of you. <laughs> like, only one person calls me dad, right? <laughs> and I can see you on the screen. Exactly, exactly. Well, speaking of 80 baby, 80s babies in every conversation. <laughs> and, and we're, you know, like you said, being an only child, we're the only people he really, you know, engages with regularly. 
right. you know, we're the subject and object of every conversation. Right. That, right. No, it's funny because we, we did um something. What was it? Um, Last Wednesday night or evening, they had a um, back to school program at a school for kids who want to do extracurricular music stuff like band, orchestra, chorus, all that sort of stuff. And he's such <laughs> he's so weirdly adult in the things he even thinks to say and ask like he sees his buddy's mom and it's like, oh, hi, how are you? How's your husband? <laughs> And I'm like, what kind of third grader asks that question? That's, that's that sounds extremely familiar. Yes, indeed. <laughs> you know, you know what this reminds me of. It reminds this '80s babies references here. Been in Home Alone two when Kevin McAllister calls up the uh, hotel and he's like, "Howdy do? This is Kevin McAllister." The father. <laughs> he's like a nine-year-old on a payphone, like trying to reserve a room. And he's like, ah, this is the etiquette. The language that it's going to take for me to reserve a room knowing doggone well my parents are in Europe or wherever they were. In that right, room. right. <laughs> wherever they have run off to and left him. Rent. Yeah, yeah. For that to happen twice, let alone three. So... <laughs> This actually sounds like a good transition into talking about members of Congress in the movie theater. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's just set the stage because – so before before even thinking about bringing this up in, in today's uh, pod, I was – I talked to a few different people and just kind of wanted to hear what they had been hearing, who had been talking about it, that sort of thing. And apparently a lot of people still don't realize there's the – Initial report, and then there's the second report that came out after a local journalist actually like found the CCTV footage and cropped and enlarged it. <laughs> Zoomed in. Just, just, so just, so just for people who did not see the follow-up story, there's the initial story that um, Lauren Boebert from Colorado, member of Congress, uh, literally the same age as some of the people on this call right now on this podcast uh was at a performance of Beetlejuice in Denver and was kicked out uh with her male companion because she was vaping uh and not just vaping indoors but vaping like right behind a pregnant woman who was sitting in front of her um so that was sort of the initial story and everybody was thinking oh that's so classless that's so trashy whatever then i want to say it was two nights ago i'm looking at threads i think it was and uh, a, one journalist I follow had pulled that local journalist clip of the CCTV footage. Not only had she been vaping, but she <clears throat> how do you was doing stuff that you might expect a teenager to do in a dark theater that you wouldn't imagine someone in their 30s or 40s doing. She's she's literally um, doing some hands stuff with her male companion who um, in turn has pulled the top of her dress down and is having a feel for himself. Uh, this is again in a public theater by an elected official who has repeatedly demonized members of the LGBTQ community for being not family friendly and harmful to children. Exactly. The hypocrisy is obvious. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, look, I, I, this is one of those things maybe that you fact check, but I remember a time when 
sensational behavior, intentional or otherwise, was like an immediate disqualifier. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. Know, like, so immediately, you know, this makes me think in recent memory of like Anthony Weiner, mm -hmm. you know, who was, you know, no longer in office because he was sexting and he was inappropriate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like generally speaking, that kind of behavior as a public official, as a society, regardless of the era of the time, that kind of negligence and or intentional uh, behavior is just a disqualifier. Mm -hmm. You know, like, yeah. first off, it is a lack of awareness that you have. Yeah. Like, if you were going to be in a place that people aren't going to identify you, one. And then two, knowing that's the case, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you should comport yourself in a certain way. Like, there's so many reasons why that kind of behavior is not acceptable. There isn't, you know, like as a member of the United States Congress, you were always on the job. You have you have you have yeah. seated your uh, private life. Mm. Like you can't go into a movie theater and get Oopsies. and or receive one <laughs> and think that, hey, it's nobody else's business. One, you're in a public space Two, you're a public official. Like you don't have that privilege anymore. Sure. So the idea that you would comport yourself in, in, in that way is mind blowing. Well, you know, like I I'm, mean, can I just I wanna I don't wanna talk over but just quick quick point here. Did one ever have such privilege? Because I still thought that was illegal, well, even if you are a private citizen. Well see this this, this is interesting because <laughs> the way I look at it, I, I, I this one was kinda kinda tricky for me, right? Because I you know, I have absolutely no uh appreciation, if you will, for uh Lauren Bobert and her her political stances and, and you know general ridiculousness. But this one, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm as conservative, you know, as they come in that in th in this space. But um, mm -hmm. I feel like almost it's it's a it's a touchy subject when you start to address and speak and and project what a woman is doing sexually with a significant other, even though it's in a public space. I and I understand the lewdness of setting aside the lewdness of it being in public, but the reality is is that all right, do we? Is there a point at which we over discuss this, right? Is there a point at which, you know, yes, we we pointed out that, that the hypocrisy in it, we point out that the the general, you know, uh, 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 crassness of it. But the reality is, is that all right? She's still a woman. She does still deserves some privacy with respect to her her interactions with those who she who she chooses to interact with in that way. But she chose to do it in public, which is the unfortunate part of it. Yeah. But, yeah, I yeah. was gonna say what what privacy are we discussing yeah. here? Because what, I mean, the 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 actual acts in which she was engaged. Let me be clear, like that's it, totally fine between two consenting adults, and unlike her, I would even say two consenting adults, regardless of their sex or gender. Right? Like yeah. I I don't care. Yeah. The issue is, or the the two issues really is one, like there were children sitting within yeah. feet or yards of them. True. A. Yeah. And the other and the other being that, you know, she and her colleagues have been on this crusade um, to to attack members of the gay and trans communities, saying that they their behavior, their comportment in public spaces is harmful to children. I, I'm sorry to be so direct and crass about it, but like, yes, there are things like uh, drag shows and drag brunches. I don't think anyone is getting Oopsies. in front of kids at them, though. Sure. No, I agree. No, I, I, you know, I, I just felt maybe maybe the happy medium for me is, is yeah. couching the criticism in that fact that 
hey, uh, she's allowed to do what she wants to do sexually with whoever she chooses to do it with. You know? Yeah, but right. But to, to, to impose that on others is what we have an issue, and to do it you know, in a way that, frankly, may be illegal, you know, that, that might be... Yeah, I think, I think we're making it way too complicated. I don't care. Us? I don't I don't care. <laughs> this group? <laughs> I don't care what she was doing. It's just a lack of judgment. Yeah, yeah right. You know, like yeah. If your judgment as a member of Congress is one of the things that is essential to your job. Right. If you've got such an utter lack of judgment. Right. And publicly, that's where I have the issue. Right. You know, so when you add it to public space, when you add the the lewdness of the act in the public space and forget the hypocrisy for just a second again this is just judgment how how are then me and us as the public supposed to think about you and your judgment yeah like again but then that's the that's the voters question right that's the voters question to answer and they're obviously don't you know most of her voters don't care because there's any thousand other things that she said and done that they should have gotten rid of her for so you know yeah the, the question becomes in in my in my in my uh, from my uh, perspective, is that is this something that really should be disqualifying for a for for an elected official? And if so, then how is that adjudicated? Is that adjudicated through the vote, or is that adjudicated through some other other means? You know. Well, I think that kind of goes back to what John was saying a, a few moments ago about the Anthony Weiner example, and the question I think now is: Is there anything disqualifying? Mm. I mean, literally, I'm not trying to, to jump to hyperbole, but like, quite seriously, you can you can point to certain factual differences and certain nuances between what Anthony Weiner did, which was actually a few different instances. It wasn't just one one instance. The most disgusting and egregious that finally was his downfall was him sexting while he had one of his children lying next to him in bed. I mean, there was a, a lot. There were a few different things he had done, but generally speaking, you know, lack of judgment, sexual behavior, children not involved, but in the vicinity, all those sort of things, which, you know, whatever that was now, 10 years ago, a little bit less, maybe, mm -hmm. um, like, that was it. That was the end. Um, now we're talking about this instance, and it's almost like it's a, a late night joke. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know the, the writer strike is going on, but if there were late night shows going on right now, you know? No, that's a good question. I I don't know. I, I, I feel like, and, and, and I think I'd extend that question a little bit, uh, Christian, to ask, if there's not, does it matter? You know, it, you know I, it, mm -hmm. I can answer that for me. I think there should be things that mm -hmm. disqualify. And to John's point, there are things that show a complete lack of judgment, right, in and of, in and of yeah. themselves. But, and at the same yeah. time, you know, my sensibilities say, yeah, some, of th some things are just unacceptable. Uh, but I know yeah. there are plenty of people on both sides of the aisle, so to speak, that would yeah. disagree with me. You know, again, this, this this is just. It's weird that we're even talking about it. Well, here, here's <laughs> when I've had this discussion before. Um, the the left seems to overcompensate for this behavior. So the real question is, if this happened on the left. Mm -hmm. Um, what would be the case? And you can think about the ways that the left is more inclined to self-regulate and push this behavior out than the right is. Um, so, you know, you've got Anthony Weider, but you also think about Al Franken. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not I'm not necessarily condoning their behavior. But what I am saying is that Al Franklin couldn't survive that politically in the same way that Anthony Weiner couldn't. And by the way, 
in both cases, it was a question of, of judgment. Mm-hmm. You know, so to be fairly consistent, you know, this is the case. I think the what about what out what aboutism is, is a death cycle. Yeah. You know, or or the the um you know, the temptation to go from a what aboutism to um kind of a false comparison. Like it's just a death trap. Like to me this is straight down the pike. That's just bad judgment. Yeah. You yeah. know, again, you're in you're in a theater with kids. Yeah. And like if you've been, which we all have been to some kind of play, it's not like it's pitch black dark. But the, you know, like you yeah, know, and she's sitting like in an aisle seat. It's not even like she's mm-hmm. in the middle. You know, I mean, they're they're mm-hmm. in a very visible place. You know, so mm-hmm. again, when you when you factor all that in, it's what what how do you construct your behavior in your thoughts and your actions in such a way that would say that this is an acceptable conclusion? But but, but there are mm-hmm. there are schools of thought though, not to not to you know overextend this this idea, but there are some schools of thought on the progressive side that that sexual freedom would involve doing whatever you want in a sense, you know, I mean, to allow certain things to not be taboo. Right. And, you know, I don't think I, you know, I, I, I don't think her, obviously her goal was to deliberately show people what she was doing. Now, I don't know, you know, you know, what she, what her intent was and what her thought process was like, obviously, but but I think to John's point, though, there wasn't a thought. There wasn't a thought. That, that's kind of the problem, right? There wasn't a thought. And, and the point about sexual freedom and liberation is all fine and good. That being said, regardless of where you stand on the political spectrum and even and the farthest of left, no one, at least no one serious and no one credible, has ever argued that there isn't a bright red line when it comes to kids, right? Like... That's and, and again, that's why I'm saying, like, I don't want this to be coming anywhere near the idea of slut shaming or whatever. What she and this other guy were doing, I don't care about. I don't think anybody on this call, not to speak for you both, but like would really care about. Um, it's the fact that this is happening in a public place where there's kids and families and you're like, what, yeah. what are you doing? Like, literally, what are you doing right now? And like, look, there's just my two final thoughts on this. So one, there are, and Christian and, and Aleem, you know this, there's certain areas of the law and crime where your intent doesn't matter. Like yeah. the fact that you did it yeah. is the problem. Like right. you, you can be going 80 miles an hour in a 50 zone. Oh man, I didn't mean to do that. It doesn't make a difference. You, you did, did it. <laughs> right. Right. So I think there's an element of that. And then two, I'm certainly on board with the idea that, you know, you know, there we have a puritanical structure and approach to sex in this country. Yeah. Like, I totally understand that. I'm totally on board with it. But this is where a little bit of the criticism comes in about, you know, if you are so wildly inconsistent with your rhetoric and your behavior, to me, that's still a judgment question. Absolutely. You yeah. know, and, and you are making bad faith, a bad faith attempt to lead. Mm. Right. You know, so again, to me, like if if there are two disqualifiers... It's judgment and it's acting in bad faith. You know, like you are uh-huh. tiptoeing constantly on on the 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 line of deception, right? Right, because you inevitably you're going to have this kind of conflict, like who you want to be and what you want to do versus what you say. That's going to inevitably lead to, I think, situations like this where it's like, look, and I don't want to speak for you guys. I know what it's like to be in a dark theater to be with that special someone and feel like no one's looking and or get the excitement of doing it. 
And I'm still again. Not this goes that. back to my point that we're not talking about high school kids, right? <laughs> we're talking about a member of Congress. But, we're like, talking about a member of Congress but, right but now. This is to Aline's point. You know, like what it is that that satisfies you sexually. Like yeah. I'm, I'm on board with that. That's fine. But that is not the social structure that we have, and that's not the social structure that you campaign for. Right. Right. And that you advocate for. Yeah. To me, that that's the biggest. I think the biggest point of criticism for me is that the hypocrisy in it. Um, you know, not simply the act, but the, the you know, but it's it's that she speaks in alignment with a group of people who would absolutely reject this, right? And right. Claims to be, right. Uh, you know. And and I'm sorry, just one final point. We talked a lot about the the her sexual interactions. We didn't talk about the vaping. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so again, I didn't see the you know, vaping. If, I heard about that. I didn't see. It. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's the other thing. Like, you know, I don't. I'm not going to pretend to have any any strong opinion and or information about what vaping does but it seems to me like so much of the research that is being being compiled um vaping i don't want to say it is it's not the same as smoking but it can have really harmful uh, mm-hmm. impacts on children yes mm-hmm. you know like especially the developing mind let alone in adults you know so again if you are again having this awareness like look if you want to like i like you know in my life i've enjoyed smoking Right. You know, like whether I get to, a chance to do it or not, I've enjoyed smoking. Um, and I, you know, I enjoy I, I don't have a problem with any of those things in isolation, but I'm also like, hey, kids, don't I'm not, you know, saying, hey, kids, don't smoke. Right. or Hey, you know, we need to do this to protect children or the unborn. And hey, you know, we don't want to, you know, have these kinds of things in the public sphere. Well, you know, so mm-hmm. again, it's really, you know, again, for me, it's, it's just those two. It's it's. You know, what What are you thinking? So Literally, what do you think? I think she, she avoids that issue entirely, John, because there's a complete rejection of anything scientific in that whole that whole sphere. So <laughs> that doesn't matter to her at all. But, you know, obviously to a lot of people. <laughs> Aline with the brain, zinger. <laughs> it makes sense. What you're saying is definitely resonates. But that, that's not going to be an issue for the Republicans. It's like, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Is what it, they want you what to, we want it to be. You know? <laughs> there you go. No, you're right. But I mean, like, you know. It also zingers aside, like it it shows just how much politically it breaks down based off of sort of your team versus mine, or however you want to frame it. Just the the blind allegiance to one side um, in in our politics. You know, if it were something where it was somebody on the left um, who was I don't know smoking weed in public, um, or it was you know a, a video of an elected official being at a drag brunch where there happened to be minors in the audience, that would be fodder for Fox News and Newsmax and every out- online outlet for weeks to come. Sure. But despite all this this moralistic campaigning and this this slandering of other communities about their adult choices, right, these guys go out and commit a few different <laughs> adult choices of their own but because they fit within sort of the framework of what's okay on one side of the political spectrum i.e tobacco use as opposed to say marijuana use and heterosexual sexual acts as opposed to you you get where i'm going here it's almost like well it's all but forgiven because as long as they're on my team as long as they're doing the adult things that i co-sign well then that's fine look i i want to add because this is also a part of uh, the concept of what we're doing here, I'm not willing to cede that the right um, is using morality to make any kind of decision. 
Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I think for years they've benefited from saying that we are we are taking this from a place of morality, regardless yeah. of what that morality is rooted in. And I'm just not willing to concede that they are making decisions based on any kind of cognizable moral structure. Mm-hmm. And Great. you know, it's like I, I just well, I, I don't have a lot more to say to that, but I just I'm not willing as a threshold to say, oh, you guys are rooted from a place. I mean, this is not. You know, this is not like, you know, hey, we've got a well-defined um, perspective on life, the right to life issues. You know, like this is not this is not a recitation on what the, the spectrum of life looks like from beginning to end. Or, you know, this isn't, you know, something that's nuanced. I mean, I could even appreciate a discussion as Aleem and I have had on LGBTQ plus issues Mm-hmm. Um, and where they might fit in the arc of a moral structure, the moral structures that we have. But just like the conversations that all three of us have, that's a product of intense studying. You know, and none of us are experts on it. And and as I will also talk about as we go through this podcast journey, there are a few things that I have opinions on. Aleem, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, I do have perspectives, and I like to think that those perspectives are informed. Um, but you don't know something uh, to be Socratic. You don't know something in, until you can test it against the strongest arguments. And right. that's anything, morality or otherwise. So I'm not willing to cede. Yeah, they're, they are taking a approach from a perspective of moralities and morals. Yeah. They're, they're clearly not. No, no, I, no, they're not. That's their, that's their brand, though. That's their, their packaging. That's their brand name. That's how they've, they've portrayed themselves publicly for not even decades now, for generations, let's be clear. But, I mean, I, I get your point, though. It's, it's, there, it's, there's not um, – that is not the intellectual starting point of anything they represent or do or any of their actions. It really is purely just their sort of – their label, oh, right? Oh, oh, oh. And, Aleem, just before you cut in, just really quickly, I also want to say, like, the they that I'm talking about, this mm-hmm. is the, the modern elected official. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the modern, you know, post Tea Party elected official. Sure, sure. And, you know, like mm-hmm. I, there, there is a definite through line to conservatism that at some point might have been rooted in morality that, on, in some cases, I might agree with. Yeah. But I don't think that's the discussion that we're having well, now. We're talking about no. post Tea Party, yeah. current MAGA movement well, I, that right. has hijacked the Republican Party the dis- among the elected class. Yeah, I, I, that's a right. good point, John. That's what I was going to say. I think the distinction is that there's there's uh, a segment of the the masses that that support these uh, these these uh, different right uh, policies and ideals that is rooting their their beliefs in in morality. Now, some might argue this is a perversion of their faith, but the reality is that they are rooting certain things in the concept that this is moral and a moralistic sort of position. And interestingly enough, there are positions on the left that are rooted in the same space, right? You know, the, uh, the concepts of, of, you know, giving, you know, the, you know, the, the, the very core of our Christian faith, for example, is a very leftist idea, you know, but so, so people, people claim and carve out that moral space for themselves. But to your point and to Christian's point, absolutely that the the establishment if you will the political of elected officials they know what their what their their purpose is they know what they're, they they know why they're uh supporting one thing versus another but the people who are voting for them uh they're very much mm-hmm. all over the place right some but even when you're talking about people who who vote not not elected officials but just the tens of millions hundreds of millions of people right even if they are 
even if they believe, they think that they're making their decisions based off a certain moral framework, it's completely fair to say it. It's not even a judgment call. It's just a, a, an observation, really, that people of different political persuasions, they have different um, – well, essentially different morals, right? There are, there are different things that, that matter from a moral standpoint based upon where you sit along that ideological spectrum. People who are to the left, traditionally speaking, tend to care more about the principles of fairness and equity and giving, et cetera, and so forth. That doesn't mean people who skew towards the right don't have their own things that are important to them. It's just that those things don't line up in the same way with people on the left. They might care much more about, um, at least historically, not so much recently. I think some things do move across the spectrum as generations change, but things like individual freedoms over collective responsibilities, et cetera, and so forth. So, I mean, like, yes, the, you can have a sort of, a moral framework that is more aligned with the American political left versus the American political right. But back to what John was saying at, at this point right now, what we're talking about, even though politicians on the right still kind of beat that moralistic drum, like that's not, <laughs> that's not what we're talking about. Like, we're not talking about like George HW Bush <laughs> in like the eighties or nineties, right? Like we're not, we're so like, there are people, whether it's him or whether it's it's Ronald Reagan or others from the past from that same party who, like, they probably couldn't even get elected today. It would be horrified at the things that we're witnessing day in and day well, out, yeah, right? You, like, don't even, you don't even need to be hypothetical, but look at Mitt Romney. Yeah. Yo, Mitt, yeah, exactly. Mitt, yeah. Mitt, Mitt Romney, 76 <laughs> years old. When he, when he yeah. gave what I thought was a very level criticism of the state of his party right now, yeah, he sounds totally out of step. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And and he is cannibalized by his party. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, like he is chief uh, Republican in name only. <laughs> number one, yeah. you know, he's the chief rhino. <laughs> but he he represents. You know, someone once described this notion of demure Northeast Republicans yeah. that are born into means that don't trumpet it around, right? Um, because they recognize they just were fortunate to be born where they are. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and again, I'm not excusing, you know, so much of their behavior. I think it was actually Fareed Zakaria a couple of years back that was was talking about this on GPS. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, Mitt Romney right now, just he looks totally out of step with the rage mm -hmm. and the it really is just rage and fear that has gripped the party, regardless of who's at the top of the ticket. Yeah. You know, like they need some. I mean, that that's also a powerful, I think, political wedge or a powerful political mm -hmm. uh, tool. But, you know, that he he, you know, and like, look, you can make the argument. There's probably been a separation in that party for a long time. Mm -hmm. It's just really exaggerated right now. Mm. Yeah. You know, you know, like, I think there's a big difference even between like Mitt Romney and uh I don't know, you, I, Rush Limbaugh's dead, but, you know, like, or, um, what's his name, Moral Majority from the mid-90s, uh, uh, Newt, Newt, Newt Gingrich. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I would draw a philosophical difference <clears throat> between Newt Gingrich and Mitt Romney. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, although I would say Newt Gingrich, I, I never thought he had much of a philosophy, aside from, like, his own personal self-aggrandizement. <laughs> that's the point that I'm making, though. Right. You know, like, his, his political philosophy going back to the 70s has been, one, obviously, you know, and I'm, I, again, have no strong opinion of a perspective, but he, he um, is kind of like chief hypocrite number one. 
Oh, you know, like yeah. even in the mid nineties, oh. you know, like it's like we, yeah. you know, I, I'm going to project and present this strong moral fabric and the, the bedrock of this philosophy is going to be um, that we need to be a good Christian nation, yeah. you know, and like, look, you, you will never be able to convince me that the Republican party from the late seventies on hasn't been envious of Jimmy Carter and him being the first born oh, yeah. man president. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and how powerful that is, or quite frankly, going back to the '60s, how powerful the church was in political change. Yeah, like, look, Jimmy Carter, you know, ushers in this idea as, by all accounts, he was the first born again president, right? And that was really powerful that he had just mm-hmm. this incredibly powerful moral cachet, and not because mm-hmm. he was born again, just because you know he was a man, but he is, you know, like a man yeah. of peace, you know, yeah. and patience and temperance. You know, and that really resonates yeah. with people because there is a strong element of that in the American consciousness. Right. You know, and and that and I think that will always be, you know, and I, I dare yeah. I say that's a part of the American exceptionalism. Like we've got this ability to dig into a deep moral well to be better than we were four years ago. Right. Um, and a lot of that is rooted in 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 Christo um, in Abrahamic ideas. Um, not exclusively. Yeah, because, we... you know, we can well, have a whole other episode where I push back against that, but <laughs> I, I get, I, I get where you're going. I, I think it's rooted not, much more in enlightenment thinking and and the the readings that the founding fathers did of of the enlightenment. But like, yeah, look, of of course, and that that is textual. What I'm saying is cultural. Right? Uh, yeah, okay, like the, okay. the Constitution, which I've got my notes for that, is it recognizes? Of course you do. <laughs> it, it recognizes the plurality of right. of this, and that's where the enlightenment thinking comes in. But as a, mm-hmm. you know, as, as informal and cultural, you know, that, that is a part of the idea, you know, right, wrong, mm-hmm. or indifferent, you know, like, right. again, to me, I will have this discussion with one of my in-laws at nauseum. You can't say that this, that America was founded on Christocentric principles. Like there's nothing in the mm-hmm. text other than general references to God that, mm-hmm. that say that that's the case. Mm-hmm. Let, let me, um, let me ask a question. You, 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 you mentioned rage, right? As being one of the undercurrents, I guess, that, that of those who support certain positions in, in, in politicians. And, I, you know, I, I guess as I look at the current landscape and then the climate, if you will, of all the, the, the people I encounter who, who are right-leaning, if you will, I'm not so sure I'm mm-hmm. seeing rage in the traditional sense anymore. I, I see more of a just a general sense of uh, I don't care about anyone else but myself. You know, it's it's a little different. It's almost the opposite of rage. It's almost, dif- you know, in, indifference, right? It's like, I just want my yeah. life to be easy. I want my life to be, mm-hmm. uh, or my path to be uh, clear. <clears throat> so if that means not caring about this group or that group, or if that means, you, mm-hmm. know, you know, my particular segment of the population being supported by policy, that's what I want, you know? So, so taxes need to be low because I'm going to make a certain amount of money and I want to be wealthy. So that's good. And, and, you know, we pay more taxes. Right. You know, I have a small business. So therefore, you know, I want my small business uh, uh, pathway to be clear as well. So it's like everybody's just right. in, in it to feed themselves. And I think ultimately that was the objective, right, of, of certain policies going back 50 or 60 years is that, hey, care about yourself and you caring mm-hmm. about yourself only everybody else will be taken care of because this is a free market and everything will, everything will work its way out, which we know to be not, not really what happens. In the, not true yeah, at all. Not true at right. All. So, right. But, but that's what they've gotten. I guess they've gotten, finally got people to understand that, Hey, 
you know, don't, you don't have to worry about that group or this group or, oh, oh, just because those other people are black, they're poor black. That, you're not poor. You're middle class mm-hmm. black. So, you, you know, don't worry about what they need. Worry about what you need, you know. And, it's, and, and when you start to separate mm-hmm. people from this ideology that we're in it together, then that's when right. they begin to support. They, they'll support somebody as, as absurd as he may be, a Donald Trump, because he's supporting this, you know, I got to be out looking out for myself ideology, right? So I think that's sort of where I am. I think the rage definitely was sparked with the Tea Party, and and at least that was that's when it bubbled to the surface, and you saw that. And of course, you have hate groups that that emulate that or yeah. that that rage and all that. But but when you're talking about the general person and the general uh, uh, yeah. populace. I don't know that it's rage; it's just indifference. You know. In a, no, I was going to say I think that there was I think I think the to kind of use almost a cooking analogy I think the the rage was like the flashpoint like that's when it all Very kind good. of came together and then once the boiling over happened what we're left with is the nihilism and selfishness absolutely absolutely well yeah yeah I I I I see that but I I still think the the rage so there's a couple of things I mean you can just go to the the talking points. And I'm talking more specifically about the right, even though I think you can mm-hmm. start to bleed into other areas on the political spectrum because, it, like I said, it's a powerful tool. Um, but, you know, the kind of the history of rage, and I can't think of the name of the cult that was bombed in the early 80s, um, but uh, it was this in the upper Midwest. Then you've got Waco. Then you've got... Um, in, in them. I don't know, but my my point with that is that I think that there is, you know, this prevailing thought, especially in the right news about the replacement theory, hmm. right? You know, so this is kind of, it's, it's almost like a misappropriation of what the actual issue is. I think the actual issue is when desegregation started in the 50s, when you've got the equal rights amendments, excuse me, when you've got, excuse me, when you've got, um, uh, the Civil Rights Act passed in the 60s, rather than embracing integration, it was just like, let's just private, and Chanel and I were talking about this this morning, let's just privatize everything. But the the issue with that is that you start to eliminate the public space, mm-hmm. and resources that go into the public yeah. space. And when you do that, you just have less. Mm-hmm. You've got less quality sure. education. You've got, you've got less of everything that had been poured in for really the previous 40 years, starting with the New Deal like this massive mm-hmm. investment in the public space. Mm-hmm. And what I don't think people realize is that the more that we withdraw from that, the more that we privatize, it affects everyone, to your point, Aleem and Christian, a- across the political spectrum. You know, of it course, just yeah. dumped on like, you know, yeah. you know, certain groups of people like black people are just complaining because they don't have enough. But when you were draining everyone from it and when you have desperation, it's only mm-hmm. a matter of time before you have rage. And I think what people on the right now are feeling is the same thing that other people have been feeling. You know, other groups of minority groups have been feeling. It's like, look, there is less and less available for us. Well, right. But that's that's also that to use your your mid-century references like that's that's LBJ. If you convince, you know, a poor white man that a black man's picking his pocket, he's not going to even realize the guy who's actually picking his pocket's the rich white man. I mean, mm-hmm. it's 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 Noel Ignatiev with how the Irish became white. It's the same old same old scheme, right? And people conservative white voters have for so long thought 
that, oh, well, if I go along with this team, they're going to look out for mine. Cause they, and it's not always overt, right? It's, it's, it's just this chorus of dog whistles and coded language, but they all, they're all in on it. They know the implication is, okay, if we have X, Y, and Z policy, it's going to benefit my family. Wink, wink. We know what we look like. We know what social group we're a part of. But of course, now we are, whatever, 40 years post-Reagan. And you're exactly right, John. The, the disinvestment or disvestment from um, the public space has harmed virtually everyone, right? Everyone. Like virtually everybody, regardless of what you look like, the only people who have benefited are, are this fleetingly small class of, of people who are, yes, they, they happen to be mostly white, but they in no way represent any group of people, regardless of, of what background they are, right? They, they are a small enclave unto themselves. And then, yes, you do have a situation where these people who feel even more disillusioned, right? They, they now want to take it out on whoever they can. And they've got someone like a Trump who can talk about, what did he say recently? I am your vengeance. I'm your retribution, <laughs> all this stuff. Like literally like taking that, that rage, right? And not aiming it at the people who actually <laughs> put them in the position they are in, right? But like actually aim it at other middle class and working class people, especially those who are immigrant born, black, go on down the list, right? But like, if you look at who deindustrialized and destroyed like the interior Northeast and the entire Midwest, right? That wasn't a black man. That wasn't black people in general. That was Jack Welch. That was people like Mitt Romney's family, right? That was private equity. That was job outsourcing. That had nothing to do with immigrants coming over, working their asses off and doing better than maybe a native born white family that didn't work as hard. It had nothing to do with black people who were getting ahead. It had nothing to do with the election really of Barack Obama, even though that symbolized a lot for those people. Really what it was, was the entire time they are looking at these other anecdotes of other people who don't look like them, who are doing well in this country. It, 2008, 2010, we would have called them the coalition of the ascendant, right? The typical Obama voter looking at them as the problem when in reality, the the taking away from the public space and also the outsourcing of a lot of the wealth being generated in the private sector, you know, offshoring it outside the US, that was going on all the while. And it was being done by white guys in corporate America, not the people that these guys, these voters thought that they were actually competing with all this time. Yeah, I mean, the kind of my, my final point on that, that reminds me of uh, when uh, we were in law school and I was working at USTR. Yeah. Um, it, this was the, we will not pass anything that even sniffs like in an entitlement. Right. And not because it's the right thing to do, but it's because that's what the Democrats do when we need to take a stance against them. Right. So there was this bill that had that gets passed, that has been passed, non-controversially, bipartisan, um, or excuse me, spending authorization, it was trade adjustment assistance. Mm -hmm. All right. So the, the basic idea is that if we enter into a trade agreement as the United States, and because of that trade agreement, your steel factory now can't compete with the steel factory in China, right? Uh, or South or a country in South America or Colombia, um, that we will invest in the displaced workers and give them money and resources to get reeducated into the economy. Right. Like it's a non-starter. It's a good thing. It actually hurts. Trade hurts the very people that a lot of, um, especially in the interior of the country, Rust Belt voters, et cetera, a lot of these people that are 
that need uh, a lot of a lot of the folks that are voting for these people are at the same time being gouged by these people. So then when you get up mm-hmm. in front of Congress and say, we won't even consider it, we won't do it. I'll never forget sitting with my boss and, um, you know, hearing Paul Ryan ask uh, a bunch of kind of yeah. really political and silly questions, you know, about it. And, you know, leaving thinking like, what kind of discussion are we having? Mm-hmm. Like you are, you are being lobbied to enter into a trade agreement and because of that trade agreement, you displace your own voters. Mm-hmm. And then you have the audacity to say that we won't do it because it's an entitlement and your voters come behind you and be like, yeah, stick it to Obama. <laughs> Meanwhile, they got no job, they got no health care, and they're sitting at home angry and all the anger is being um, directed towards Barack Obama. And then you add on the race, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. that's what you just said, you know, like the coalition of the ascendant replacing you know your average you know white person in america that's where you have this just this rage filled Mm -hmm. misinformed deluded idea of what's actually happening and it it seems to me like there's almost no way to to get people to get to the bottom Mm. like i don't i will never just totally throw my hands up but you know it shouldn't take you know two law degrees and a degree in nuclear engineering to be able to like get to something that should be so basic it's just like, hey, well, guys. but that's but that's the power of of miss or or disinformation, as it were. I mean, it, it's gotten to a fever pitch now with social media being what it is and having living in the age of Kellyanne Conway's alternative facts. But I mean, this has been going on for decades, right? And you're talking about people who, at this point, the the narrative that other people are taking your jobs and are doing this to you is so ingrained that they cannot be persuaded otherwise, right? But at the end of the day, no one is coming to their town and taking their job. That that hasn't happened. That never happened, right? Someone on Wall Street who got together with their friends and gambled on purchasing your boss's company and then burned it to the ground and then sent whatever jobs remained to either you know assembly line robots or people in southeast asia they took your jobs like quite demonstrably quite literally nobody else who was here in america whether they were black brown or otherwise and working hard and trying to earn for their families took their jobs but as long as they believe that that's 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 their narrative and now it's gotten to this point where it's gone from the you know racist but like kind of predictable they're taking our jobs mantra to now like full-on replacement theory like we've gone full circle to now we're talking about like literal nazi ideology coming in where they're talking about the fact that or the idea the non-fact they are actually being replaced in america by other people you know you know not to not to take this uh to to a, too much of a philosophical space but isn't everything oh, come on, about bring it bring it for the past... why, why else are we here yeah why, why else are we here i'm sure we want to discuss but, but my, my, my my thought is that it isn't everything we've been talking about for the last five or ten minutes isn't that really at the crux of that isn't it simply education right is it isn't it just people understanding cause and effect and at, at mm-hmm. a very root level it's like right now I think in the absence of education, in the absence of, of a learned understanding of these concepts, people are fed what any political party or, 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 or uh, ideology that someone wants to feed them. And whether or not they like that person or don't like that person is, determines whether or not they believe it. 
You know, it's the same thing as when you might meet a street vendor trying to sell you a, a, a you know, a, a, a health product. They're going to tell you one thing or another mm-hmm. about it. You can choose to believe them or not. You know, if you like them, if wait, you, wait you like yeah. how they speak, wait you know, you might say, oh, yeah, I believe this is going to work for mm-hmm. me. Let me eat. You know, but so that's really what's mm-hmm. happening in the political sphere as well is that we have politicians, we have people you know, you know, who appear on television. And now more importantly than ever, we have people who appear in social media telling us certain things about our lives and about the world and how it works. And we choose or choose not to believe them. And, but there is a truth. And we've gotten away from that being the reality that there are actual facts. And you mentioned the alternative facts, but you know, we need to, we need to, we need to actually begin to, to have trusted sources of sources of information provide that information to people at a very young age and at a very early stage in, in development. And that's just not happening. But that's the problem, though. But that's that's sort of the thing, though. You kind of hit the nail on the head right there, that the messenger matters often now more than the message itself. It right? It's, it's like literally, um, you know, I don't care what the facts are. So-and-so said this. I already have that built-in trust with that messenger. Therefore, whatever they say, not that not to oversimplify it, but it's true. I mean, John, I remember talking to your wife about this actually during um, when they were still developing the vaccines, the initial vaccines for COVID, and the fact that people really trust who they trust more than anything that you can show through reams of data <laughs> through research and whatever and so like we had this conversation <laughs> like it, it was like a random conversation just one day and then before i knew it i was seeing that anthony fauci was going on all these different youtube channels and i realized it was it was you know brilliant strategy in some ways i mean it was it, it had a certain ceiling to its success right but i mean it was the idea that they were the White House was sending him out to different outlets that already had a built in trust and viewership among different demographics because that was the way in. Like going on national TV, you know, on ABC at 6 p.m. and saying, here's the data, there you go. Like that wasn't going to work. It was, we're going to go to this influencer and that YouTuber and that. And by that way, just kind of going to all those different fragmented segments and connecting with those audiences as using the influencer as sort of the conduit of trust, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Still the messenger was what mattered. Not, not the message. I want to go back to something Aleem said not too long ago. Aleem, do I understand correctly that you solicit medicine from people on the street? Is that what you just said? I'm pretty sure uh, I heard that's what I well, heard from Aline. Well, sometimes you just want to, I mean, sometimes you just want to buy to support, right? You just say, okay, well, they, yeah, they, you know, Aleem, Aleem they ask me for five dollars or ten dollars for this, and they say it does this. <laughs> I, yeah, okay, yeah. I'll give you ten. Just give, give, it a buck? give me the seeds. When, when I think of street pharmacists, <laughs> that's not what I think of, Aline. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just, I, I, you know, Freak, um, and, and as it pertains to the vaccine, it's real funny. I don't know if you, uh, what's my guy? It's like BMO the Prince. Anyway, he's like from, uh, I forget where he's from. He's from, I think he's actually from new England, but he's got this skit where he's got the three different vaccines. He's got Pfizer, Moderna, and then he's got Johnson and Johnson. And I, Aleem, I remember our discussions about what to take. And I'm like, I appreciate the fact that you like the economy of the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. It's just a one-time thing. But anyway, this brother, it's hilarious because the, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, he just, the character in that is 
well the 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 Pfizer and the Moderna are um well spoken, you know, generally, you know, <laughs> they admit some of their challenges. I already know where the Johnson and Johnson guy is wearing a tie dye shirt. He's from New Jersey. Always drunk. He is always drunk and wildly incompetent. <laughs> but it was actually funny though, during the pandemic, like they were people like I remember having discussions about the vaccine, like, hey, are you a, you a Moderna guy? Like, you, you got the Pfizer? Ooh. And it's like, yo, what are we talking? Like, we have teams for the for the vaccine, too? Do a whole like, just series on the vaccines, the differences, and why or why not, and, and how confused everybody has been on this. But, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's it's not fair how, <laughs> it's not fair how Johnson & Johnson was treated in that <laughs> <laughs> You know, as a longtime Central New Jersey resident, I, you know, I'm very upset at how how poor, how how badly it's been treated. In uh, was that treated very very Donald badly. Trump? Was that a Donald Trump? <laughs> almost the intonation, the hand gestures. It was almost. It was almost there. If Donald Trump was a <laughs> black guy from Central Jersey, you nailed it. Okay. okay. First of all. Donald Trump, Donald Trump and his family wouldn't even rent an apartment to a black guy from New Jersey. So let's right there, right there. <laughs> oh my! That that's not that's not being me being a meanie Democrat political mud. Like it's in court filings. All right, people. Like that's that is that is that is, is it, you can verify that. That is a verifiable fact. This, this is this I'm is. I'm sure this somebody is will deny it's true. <laughs> it doesn't need to it doesn't even need to be whether it's factual you can just deny it's true and just call it a name yep, yep. at this point yeah at this point when i'm i get so concerned that whenever someone is accused of something mm-hmm. and their immediate reaction isn't to say nothing they just mm-hmm. the first thing out of the mouth it's 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 a sham mm-hmm. you know like it's a witch hunt you know, like rather than dealing mm-hmm. with which, you know, maybe that's a good segue into Jack Smith and the gag order. But like <laughs> any time like someone like in, in, in by the way, on I don't say on both sides of the political spectrum, but it's concerning to me that the first response is like it's 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 not even that they're denying the truth. They're denying the concept that someone would do it to them. Mm. And like that's problematic, you know, because the justice system with all of his flaws, for the most part, it is designed to try and undercover objective facts, mm-hmm. you know, and truth. Now, whether or not a jury determines if that was lawful or not is a completely different question. Mm-hmm. But the process to undercover uncover facts and truth is pretty rigorous. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just not something you play around with. Again, you know, you... But I, I just it it bothers me that people just oh man this isn't this isn't I can't believe they're saying this this is a witch hunt this is fake news this is a false mm-hmm. flag you know like by the way this is like a scheme that's as old as time oh yeah like rather than address mm-hmm. the the damaging facts just discredit the entire concept that allows right. for your comeuppance to exist. Yeah, that's only going to get even worse with with things like deep fakes and artificial intelligence oh and voice manipulation, and that's going to be. I mean, that could be a whole other podcast unto itself, but I think that's just going to get worse yeah. Um, yeah. because now we're getting to a place where, I mean, people are doing it for fun initially, and then they start doing things like making um, 
songs up using artificial reconstructions of somebody else's voice. Mm-hmm. The law is a hundred years behind because you can't copyright a voice, but if a voice is not yours, then whose is it? Right. I mean, like, I think that's something that's going to get, um, far worse until we have a lot of very <laughs> forward thinking legislation to make it any better. Yeah. That's a good. Well, you, I don't know if you were following and I don't remember the, the case I read about it earlier this past spring, but mm-hmm. there was a case in front of the Supreme Court this year. It was the Warhol case. I don't know if you mm-hmm. followed it. Um, no. but the basic, I heard of it, but I didn't follow it. Yeah, the, the basic question before the court was who was responsible for the creation. I think it was, I don't know. I don't remember if it was, it might have been Madonna. I don't remember who it was, but it was one mm-hmm. of the lithographs. And okay. in the case, the photographer that took the lift, that took the original picture that Warhol mm-hmm. then lithographed got none of the credit and none of the royalties. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the question that okay. the court was basically trying to, that was grappling with is, you know, who's responsible for the art, mm-hmm. you know, and certainly as you think about music and hip hop in particular, which is predicated on reconfiguring the art of others, which Liam, you and I talk about, it is a fascinating question. I actually, this is an area that I think, the jurisprudence, at least, maybe not lawmaking, but jurisprudence is really trying to attack because, like, is Jay-Z's voice, for example, and, like, there are actually a lot, you know, in another group chat, and I refuse to, I don't want to say I refuse to listen to it, but I refuse to kind of engage in the discussions. But anyway, like, taking Jay-Z's voice, writing, you know, texting, or excuse me, uh, creating just lyrics for him, putting on a beat and then having AI mm. um, produce a song with what sounds like Jay-Z rapping, mm. you know, like that is the intellectual property discussion. Like who is creating it? You know, like is it the person that wrote the lyrics? Is it the actual voice? You know, who wrote the beat? Like it is a fascinating, fascinating question. I don't think that legislation or the court is quite equipped to keep up with it in real time just because it's happening no. too fast. Um, but I, I'm kind of encouraged that it's not as far behind as you might otherwise think. I think the legislation, yeah, I, you know that that's going to be a completely different, a completely different piece. But from a jurist, I, I guess, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say to kind of bring it full circle. Like for you, kind of brought it into the um, the intellectual property domain, and like there's a, a ton to work with there, right? But ultimately, I'm I'm less concerned with how much money artists could possibly lose in the interim between when this technology comes into existence and when there's a legal framework to control it. I'm much more concerned with what it means for what we've been talking about in terms of democracy and the truth. The fact that uh, the same technology that can be used to mimic some uh, a rapper or a singer's voice could also be used to falsify evidence mm-hmm. to create a scandal. Because I, th- I think about it this way: if if a piece of evidence were falsified and brought into court, <clears throat> there could be an entire fact finding process, slow things down, change deadlines, have these things be analyzed by different experts, et cetera, and so forth. There would be a very controlled process because you're in this very tightly controlled hermetically sealed sort of sphere when you're inside a court case, right? Litigation. If you're talking though about in the political process, which having a democracy depends on having a political process, right? And it's not so tightly controlled. It's subject to a whole bunch of factors, news cycles, and public opinions. If you can create 
a scandal out of whole cloth or deny a very real scandal by falsifying uh, something contradictory to the real allegation and then just put it out there into the internet, into the news cycle. By the time anybody actually does some sort of analysis of, of whatever it is, a fake video, a fake audio recording, whatever, and debunks it, it's going to be days later and no one's going to care anymore. The whole the whole thing would have caught fire by well, that. And it's going to be the biggest issue when it's it's very subtle changes, right? So obviously the big drastic, yes. uh, you know, falsified, yeah. falsified videos and things that everybody's going to eventually pretty quickly learn that oh that's just fake. But when it's something very subtle yeah. and it's like oh well they could have said that, then it's going to be believed right. and, and everything's it's going to turn things on its head. I, I I fear that same thing. I was just just thinking yeah. you know when. When AI was first starting to be discussed, I guess a couple of years ago, and 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 videos and create recreations, I'm like, wow! If Donald Trump actually had uh, one shred of intelligence, he would be leveraging this. He would just deny anything that comes out that's not yeah. favorable to him and just say it's AI, and people would believe. There, yeah. probably half the people in the world would believe it, and that's mm-hmm. you know. And that that might be happening in a couple of days, couple of weeks, couple of months from right now. I mean, that could that could happen very soon. You know, because like you said, though, if it's something that's like egregious, it's so goofy, it's so fake, then that's kind of not the concern. I saw this horrifying. It it will haunt my dreams. I don't know why somebody felt the need to do this, but somebody did an AI thing where they um they had Arnold Schwarzenegger's face superimposed on um. It was the original video of um, Whitney Houston's I Want to Dance with Somebody. <laughs> mm-hmm. So still had, like, from here all the way around, this was all still oh. her hair, everything, body. But then just right here was his face superimposed on hers. And oh. then they used AI to have his voice sing the lyrics of the song. Yeah, yeah. And, like, yeah, it was – it haunts my dreams yeah. it is so disturbing but you can tell it's so you know it's so absurd you know it's fake it's more the little things right where you could just like get it within that like okay like that person could have said something like sure, that sure. like that's plausible right yeah. that's the danger zone right there i think well just my my point one like that does sound uh terrifying having someone from the <laughs> eyebrow down to the chin uh yeah. that just yeah and wrecking a great song um although it's also <laughs> hilarious which is problematic but like look i think we saw this um with the deep fakes of hillary clinton like slowing mm-hmm. her down just a little bit so it sounds like she's yeah slurring her words and maybe mm-hmm. she's intoxicated you know right. just enough to kind of create that message so i mean like that's here and for what it's worth i remember about 12 years ago, I think it was the Washington Post. I think it was either Post NPR, but anyway, a news news source local to here was talking about ad choice, um, and that kind of is this this first generation of AI and the internet. You know, so it's something that's just commonplace now. But you know, your your browser or whatever using your IP address, it will you like one thing, and then a gazillion things will pop up that that are aligned with that. And at the time, the prediction was like, this is dangerous because like this could lead to the polarization that we see now. Like people Mm -hmm. only listen to the things that they are searching for and it just gets more and more narrow. Mm -hmm. And it Mm -hmm. doesn't take a lot. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I just kind of mess around with the AI and my social media all the time. Mm -hmm. Like I'll just like something totally random or I'll like just a whole bunch of one thing like travel videos or 
yeah. know, whatever, just to kind of mess with the AI just so it doesn't become so insular. Hmm. But I totally agree yeah. with you. I think my point about the Supreme Court is that, you know, and you know this is how jurisprudence works. You know, like you can kind of take a swing at something philosophical in one case that might apply down the road. Um, but I agree with you. That ain't going to stop anyone from making a deep fake of Joe Biden, you know, right. falling down some stairs or, you know. Saying something weird. <laughs> I, I mean, good point. <laughs> right. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat surprised and thankful that with Mitch McConnell having his two episodes that, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. it hasn't been like, I mean, now the good news is it just happened publicly. Like everyone is yes, there. Exactly. Like, you yeah, can verify that. Right. You know, but, right. you know, then you for every one of those, you've got Ted Cruz believing that there are sharks uh, swimming down the highway in California, California after the uh, <laughs> hurricane. Yeah, did you guys see this? No. No. What is this? So, so Ted Cruz <laughs> reposted a video of a shark. I think it was a shark swimming down okay. a road. And someone had posted it as a gag, like, hey, this is happening in California right after the hurricane. And he, you know, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. This, I think he said this is unreal. But he genuinely believed that there was in repo- there was a shark flowing down like the I-10 in L.A. Was it like a, a clip from like Sharknado or some like <laughs> I forget what it was. Movie it, was or... it was actually six. It was like it was it happened like six or seven years ago. And it ironically enough, it might have actually happened in Texas. Mm. Like it was, it was <laughs> wild, but it was so easily verifiable. Okay. That it it was it had nothing to do with what happened, but again, to your point, like you know, just it's just that moment. Like someone with a big mm-hmm. enough platform can yeah. come and say something, and people believe it, and then the opportunity to fact check and verify it goes. And by the time you do, no one cares anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's kind of the dangerous thing, and that's like the time that we're living in, where we have at the same time. Yeah, the word gets overused, but yeah, polarization, it's more than just polarization, right? It's just this complete fracturing of where people get their information from, how they see the world, how they develop their beliefs, all those sort of things, right? And at the same time, we've got this technology that makes it so possible to just create these artificial realities and share them, whether it's in the form of memes or false narratives, literal videos and, and audio that's all just fake, um, and it's that old adage that, you know, the a lie can get around the world five times before the truth has put its pants on in the morning. Mm-hmm. I mean, now at this point where you can literally make something fake out of nothing, out of whole cloth, and then with the internet get it everywhere almost instantaneously and have it, it, it take off. I mean, I think about that example you just used, John, of, of the Hillary Clinton stuff because I had people close to me calling me on the phone during the last election like, oh, my God, did you see what happened with Hillary Clinton? And I go and look at it and I'm like – it's doctored. I mean, it's, but still, I mean, people, it, it's, it's exactly Aleem's point. It's if it, as long as it's not something outrageous, it's something that's a little bit plausible that, that doctoring, that editing, that artificial intelligence there can be just enough to start an entire, uh, you know, false belief that goes, that goes viral. All right, John, you doing all right there? Are you being called away? Are you being summoned? I just stiff-armed my daughter. She wants to go to the playground. <laughs> <laughs> it's not raining out your way? I think it is. I can't tell. Them. I'm, I'm here in, uh, in daddy's zone, so I, uh, I'm, I'm locked in here. But, you know, as you know, oh. well, you guys don't know, but, like, with the daughter, you guys both know Jordan, and she comes yeah. and she's got just this 
she can do the sullen voice. Yeah. Oh, I know. And you, I know. you know, you expect her to be sad, but she actually gives a pretty aggressive demand. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's, like, it's, it sideswipes you because then it's like, oh man, mm-hmm. like, I, I'm going to say no, and I don't have a problem saying no and or wait. But she's just so effective at manipulating the situation. Oh yeah. Oh, do you remember my son's last tanks. birthday party? My son's last birthday party has been half the time entertaining your daughter <laughs> because she came out of the car cranky and tired and was like, I want someone to stay with me and watch a movie or watch something on her iPad. And she came over to me like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm you're, fine. You're I'm just keeping her company. You're in the vortex. And like, look, here's exactly, the, you know, you, you two are, are, are family. When, yeah. when Aleem comes over, he looks forward. <laughs> Yeah, no. like, hey Jordan, <laughs> adorable. That's He's like, a... you ain't going, you ain't going. I'm not going to be reactive. I'm going to be proactive, girl. We're going through this, and then she just loses interest. <laughs> but see, Chris, your problem is you're reactive, and then she just wraps you around the finger, and then you're stuck. Yeah, what you going to do? What you going to do? I mean, but in, in fairness, to you, she's she's brilliant. I mean, she is yes. freakishly intelligent. I mean, I I I will never forget my son's prior birthday when we all went to Dave and Buster's. And she, at what, four years old, was like manipulating the games and getting what she wanted the, to the, out of them? I'll never forget. You came over to me and she's like, you're like, John, your your daughter is on the motorcycle game and she's winning. <laughs> like, it just yeah. took on and then she just figured it out. Like, help, yeah. help me understand this. Oh, yeah. I don't know what you want me it to was, it, There was that one, but then there was the more complicated one where it's like having to like recognize different patterns. Mm. Yeah. And she was just like completely – so she's got that going and then also not to like – to your own horn, because I know it's your gene pool we're talking about here, but she's one of the most unrealistically cute kids yeah. ever. <laughs> so you put those together, neither Aleem nor I have a daughter. No, no. We're both uncles, and we come over, and she's like, ha ha, got, got him. him. You know? Every time. All she got to do is go Right. It's the, it's the dimples that do it. It's, it's the dimples yes. for sure. It's I, the dimples, yeah. I think she's got... She is, she is, she's probably the smartest of us all. I mean, she's got, she may yeah. have a photographic memory, mm-hmm. um, which is yeah. why she's able to remember those patterns. Uh, mm-hmm. Just a quick story. So we had, uh, she's had her iPad for a couple of years and mm-hmm. she wanted to get in and play because she didn't want to wait for Chanel or I to open it. So one day we tell her what the password is and said, look, if you can figure out what the password is, you can unlock your iPad. And she might have been four years old, maybe less. Mm-hmm. This is what this child does. We have uh, their babysitter come over, and she's asked the babysitter, can you unlock my iPad? Chanel and I went there. She's like, sure. And then she tells her what the password is. As the babysitter is putting in the password, Jordan is watching the sequence of the password on the iPad. <laughs> By the time we got back home, she was able to unlock her iPad. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, no, maybe it took one or two times. Within one or two times of that babysitting, she knew what her yeah. password was. And here's the crazy thing. Her brother, two years her senior, was still trying to figure out what the password is. <laughs> she thought, yeah. it, it was wild. I got this, Davis. <laughs> I, I got this one ball. Let me show you. Oh, it's funny. I'm not even laughing because I can just picture it. I mean, 100%. It's, it's completely it's believable to me. It's completely believable. Like, I remember this was, yeah, it would have been, yeah, Ronan said, like, it was his, what, his sixth or seventh birthday? It was a couple birthdays ago. We went to the arcade. Yeah, DMV. And, yeah, I mean, like, after 
the initial time with all the kids playing together. I remember you came a little bit later. You were coming straight from work. Mm -hmm. And the boys went and did their own thing. And, you know, Jordan, as per usual, peeled me away. And she's like, no, these these guys don't get it. Let me show you how this stuff mm -hmm. is done. And she's like, because I had bought each of them a rechargeable or refillable, like, you know, card. like the yeah. debit card thing that, you know, instead of tickets now. And she's going, like, working the thing. And, like, she actually... I think the moment where I actually came over to you and told you about it was she had figured out how to basically turn a profit where she could get <laughs> ahead of one of the games so quickly that it was recharging. It was it was giving her back, reimbursing her essentially playtime on her little plastic card faster than she was expending it because she was keeping up and with the game so mm -hmm. quickly. So even like she would like burn through like, you know, a minute of credit, but then earn two back because she was getting everything so right so quickly. <laughs> And then could then go and use that and spend it on like the motorcycle game, and I'm like, okay, I'm a little scared right now. This is, this. I mean, it, again, she is amazing, amazing. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. To a, a kind of scary extent, like I said, you know, just figuring things out a little too easily, <laughs> a little too easily. Uh, gentlemen, I know it's been a while. We've been talking a lot. Um, I know we had some other topics we might want it to cover, but I think we covered quite a bit today. Yep. Um, do we want to say at least a few things about this whole potential gag order for Trump that I know we were going to cover? I, I guess the way I'm thinking of it is it kind of ties into the whole issue of just, you know, letting the truth be allowed to exist and not, <laughs> not letting democracy be, uh, completely destroyed by, nihilism and the idea that truth and facts don't matter yeah i, 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 mean... got, I got two points on that one one and liam i know you're laughing about my text message i'm sorry what it's <laughs> like <laughs> text messages yes there's text messages like happening saying... at the same time as this conversation and uh john you did it to me <laughs> oh, yeah, okay not, we'll not, wrap not it up not, not for our <laughs> listeners here like look here's my thing one, the, the gag order is, you know, the whole point, you know, which is ironic, is that this is about intimidating the witness, the potential witness pool. Um, right. And, and that's that's the point. Like, this is, you know, I, I uh, was listening to Pod Save America and the guys were like, look, this isn't like some sophisticated and intelligent, like, enterprise. This is like mm -hmm. basic, you know, white knuckle mob tactics, Always. which is like, mm -hmm. hey, Always. you know, yeah. you, like, you, let's just let's just scare everyone so no one you know, wants to talk or no one wants to be that person because they're afraid. And then yeah. two, what I actually, so that is really basic. And again, like some of the stuff is just like, we don't, you don't need to be go deep to find because they're not going mm. deep. You know, like this is a panicked approach to staying out of jail, plain and right. simple. And I think right. Jack Smith is like, look, we don't need to, like we're giving too much credit to this enterprise. You know, like yeah. we need to treat this in the same way that we would treat another similar low-tech enterprise that's trying to intimidate witnesses point blank mm -hmm. and then two what what i don't like especially because of the way that that donald trump uses truth social this is this is the the this is him using the private sector mac masquerading as a public space you know so in other words yeah it's like yeah x truth social whatever it is like these are privately owned companies that own your data mm -hmm. and the ability to communicate information. Like this is not like getting a permit and going and having a rally 
in a in a a public space, you know, like in front of town hall. Like they are two yeah. totally different. And why that's problematic is because then you'd go from that to co-opting the sec, uh, excuse me, the First Amendment. Right. You know, so now it's just like, hey, they are treading on our freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. And it's like, there's no such thing. This is this is a conversation happening in a private space. He's free to say whatever he likes. And if there is right. a restriction, it's not because the court is saying you can't say that. It's because the platform is saying that you can't say that because mm -hmm. it's harmful. Right. You know, right. so to me, it's really <clears throat> detangling you know, these two really important things like, yeah, he can say what he wants. And by the way, I think that's the argument that Jack, Jack Smith makes in in um, in the charges that are brought against Donald Trump. Like, hey, no one's saying you can't talk at all. Right. Right. However, when your speech crosses that First Amendment threshold, that translates what you where there's a where there's a a, core, a strong correlation or a causation between what you're saying and what's happening. That's where it ends. Like no right. one is saying you can't speak, right? But what we are saying is you can't do this. And what I what really frustrates me about about what Jack Smith has to do, it puts him in a position where it looks like he is now because the narrative has been so warped that he's trying to yes. silence Donald Trump, right? rather than protect the the jury pool pro protect the electorate protect all of these people because his words can't be trusted to not immediately translate into actions it's very much like well, exactly environment but think about it this could happen but but think about it because if, if he really wanted to stifle his free speech right he would have filed this with the indictment right like let's just shut it all down for Literally, this guy, they talk about the, the two tiers of the justice system. This is someone who owns his own jet and has not had to turn over the keys, who has a passport, he hasn't had to forfeit it, right? Who was not told to shut up on day one and has been allowed to continue to go on Truth Social wherever he wants to and say whatever he wants. The, the fact that he's only filing this now, I think, shows a huge amount of restraint on Jack Smith's part. But then also the fact that, like, this is a really pretty narrowly tailored sort of exception here to Trump's otherwise unbridled right to freedom of speech, right? It's it's not like you can't vent, you can't gripe and moan about the fact that you don't like what's happening. It's you cannot go on the Internet and direct threats at anybody who's going to be in the jury pool. Mm -hmm. Like, that's that isn't just... Because the freedom of speech, right, is about the freedom of political expression, religious expression, personal. Like, it's not a a free pass to, you know, create threats or or damage the rule of law, right? There are there are responsible there there are limits, and one is responsible for what one says in a public space. And like, look, this is this is not, you know, just just to add one final legal point to that. We're not talking about what he's saying being curtailed by the state like right in almost right. every right. situation that he speaks there is no involvement in state action there's no state action right you know like twitter or x or whatever it's called these <laughs> days called. is not a state actor <laughs> right truth social no. is not a state actor right? right you know like there is no government entity that is restricting what he could so, say and i agree with you like look by the way, it is probably a sound political strategy or sounds not political mm -hmm. sound strategy 
to not unnecessarily entice people knowing what he's likely to do so, and the reaction right. that it can cause. So I, I yeah, may have noticed I've been kind of silent on this particular topic for the last few minutes because I, I guess I, I couch this sort of, this one sort of in the preaching to the choir sort of standpoint. I think the three of us understand what this is, you know, what this is for, what it's about, and, and all of the reasons that you yeah. all just shared uh, about it. I think for me, the ridiculousness that we're that that this is not obvious, an obvious need to have done to everyone yeah. is, is sort yeah. of disheartening. That that's the part that disappoints me so much that we that we have to ha have this conversation. He is so obviously, right. you know, uh, spitting in the face, if you will, of of the justice system by what he's been doing yes. since this. Uh, let's not even this particular prosecution, but everything that's been that he's been involved in for the last you know however many years. So the concern for me is once again the supporters. You know, you know, John, you sent out mm -hmm. a a. Uh, a, a, a meme or, or a sketch that George Carlin had done uh, a few days ago. And he was talking about, at some point, it's not the politicians. It's us, right? You know, so it's it's really the people that Trump is a, he is a product of what people, some people in this country wanted. And he's, mm -hmm. he, he brought that to fruition. And in fact, he revels in that, that idea that basically, what was, I'm your vengeance. I am the person that's going to mm -hmm. carry forward all the craziness that you have in the back of your mind. And it's those people, it's those, you know, uh, 40% of the population, you know, that, that really, you know, want to reject the, the, the sensibility of him shutting his mouth and not contaminating the, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the uh, jury pool and, and, you mm -hmm. know, following through with the justice system as it was intended to be uh, carried out. So what do we do about that, right? What, what do we do about, about convincing those people that this guy is no good, you know, to put it very. I, I can. There, there's a few things, and and I. This is a perspective, not an opinion. Um, I think when you can have the more custom that we can have dispassionate, have a broader dispassionate narrative about what we're seeing. Like I think that's the thing. I think when Barack Obama was leaving, he said, you know, one of the great things that he was concerned with is that there used to be a time where we might have dis disputed how we deal with facts, but not what the facts were. Right. right. You know, and I think that that is a guardrail, you know, that that is gone. And I think that needs to be and this might be the long haul, because, again, to your point, you know, five truths going to five lives going around the world once before the truth can put his pants okay. on. You know, mm -hmm. like the, still you got to put a pants on. I mean, that, that's basically it. Yeah. You know, so you just can't throw up your hands yeah. and just say, you know, this this tornado of of destruction, you know, at, at some point you have to rebuild. And I, mm -hmm. I, I know that there are points in the history of this republic where we've maybe faced similar crises like this before, like mm -hmm. core crises of identity. At some point, you got to put your pants back on or put your pants on whatever you said earlier, Christian. You know, so. Well, it's not that we have to. I'm I'm wearing some jeans right now. I was talking more the the oh, amorphous first off, idea first of the off, truth. <laughs> first off, you need to have some knee hair out when you're doing the podcast. Knee hair? Really? That, that, was that, that was weirdly specific. That was weird. That was weirdly specific. Every once in a while, I like to say things just to see who's listening. And the more no, absurd, well, the better. Well, 
In case you didn't see my face change color, I was clearly listening. Um, I don't know why it has to be my knee hairs. But I just... Because, Aleem, I know you just mentioned um, one of my favorite all-time comedians. I remember the day that George Carlin died in 2008. I remember opening the New York Times and seeing that and just being – all of a sudden seeing his name referenced to in the past tense and was like, oh, my God, it's his obituary. Um, yeah. He was one of my all-time favorites. But the, the comedian who I think of when I think about this whole Trumpist idea of, oh, this is not fair, oh, woe is me, it's a two-tier justice system, is actually Dave Chappelle. And the sketch he did in his show 20 years ago, where they do have a thought experiment. The entire sketch is a thought experiment, right? And they have like, well, no, Black Bush being like the companion one, but not that one. I was thinking about that too. The one in particular I was thinking about was when they have the um, the guy who gets the the rich white guy who gets caught with like insider trading or tax evasion, and he gets handled the way that anybody off the street would get handled (laughs) by you know, local law enforcement in this country in name <laughs> your city, that. right? And then, like, the guy who's the drug dealer gets handled like, with the white glove treatment that the rich guy from Greenwich was expecting to get. And then he just goes through the the watered-down, soft process that rich guys would expect and just makes a mockery of the whole thing all the way through. Oh. That's Donald Trump. He's just like, okay, yeah, fit. Lead yeah, the yeah, yeah, fifth. Yeah. <laughs> just like he, One, he doesn't care. Two, the whole thing's three, a joke. Four, Fifth. <laughs> right. Fifth. And that's I mean, when you look at like not not to like bring up every single case in Trump land right now, but like there's been so many I mean, there's what, like ninety one pending charges against him across four different jurisdictions, but then also Peter Navarro, who was just convicted on contempt of Congress for not showing up. And the point that a few commentators made about that was, well, look at all the other Trump lackeys who got hauled in front of Congress as part of that initial investigation that his contempt trial came out of. And they all showed up and did the same thing. They're like, yeah, screw you, Democrats, fifth. And like, that was the entire <laughs> thing. Um, yep. But again, like they loved they love to cry victim, even though they are the ones who are abusing the system. And then when they get caught, just love to mock it and disrespect it at every turn well this this brings that? back you know, to that maybe the, the, the my, my final, that final when, point when someone decides that they just you know disregard you know contempt of congress used to be something people feared right they didn't want they didn't want to be held in contempt of congress now it's like it doesn't even matter like it, it's like yeah it's like oh well you know it's a badge of honor it's like but how this, things have changed that significantly that drastically is just scary but but this goes back to what we were talking about with morality you know, like the, mm-hmm. the problem with the victim mindset is that rather than accept responsibility for your actions, right? Mm-hmm. Like having that be the threshold thing, like that's another thing that we've lost. You know, like we're mm-hmm. in a cycle now where you don't have to accept that what you did something, what you did might have been wrong or harmful to someone else. Right. You know, and like, look, as we were talking about morality, again, recognizing that, you know, there is not... There are personal beliefs, you know, but the common morality is a lot narrower than personal beliefs, you know, but I think one thing that we would agree on, regardless of your, um, your moral background is responsibility for your actions. Like we review, mm-hmm. we view when people don't take responsibility for their actions as something that is, uh, morally off, off kilter, you know, like that's mm-hmm. the core thing. Like you accept responsibility for your actions. And now with, 
you know, kind of the everything being an attack, everything being a victim. And, and like, look, I get it. I also yeah. resent it because it's like an, another case of hijacking and perhaps appropriating something that was really effective for black and minority communities, you know, and just kind of making it our own. Like, hey, the, the system is against us. And it's like, no, the system is built by you and to benefit you, the fact right. that you would cry victim is an insult. And hey, man, if you're if you're about this moral life, take responsibility for your act, like, and you see it play out, you know, at some point you're faced with reality in life. Um, but I, my my point is, and my problem is that like you just you can't never not take responsibility. Like you were never not. There is no one that is always in the right. Like at some point, no. Take yeah. responsibility for it. Take responsibility yeah. and accountability for your actions. And by the way, hey, my my moral my moral makeup says like, look, I'm going to give you grace. You know, like I can forgive you. Mm-hmm. Like on a personal level, I can forgive you. That doesn't mean that what you did that what you did doesn't have repercussions, and you don't have to be accountable. But I can well, forgive. But you but just to interject very quickly, not to cut you off entirely, but forgive after that person has come forward and made right and accepted responsibility, not just off the cuff mm-hmm. blanket forgiveness for everything. No, yeah, no, I mean, no. but like, look, I'm, I'm even saying for for me, like, I'm I'm okay. Like, I recognize you that I'll forgive you, but that still, to me, mm-hmm. still doesn't mean that you aren't accountable for what you did. You know, like, I mean, right. you want to talk about right. like with our parent, like with parenting, like I'm going to, my kids are going to do something this afternoon that is going to require forgiveness in advance. Like it's already stored up. That doesn't mean that they aren't going to be held mm-hmm. accountable for their actions. Absolutely. Right. Like, and right. I think those two can coexist. I ain't come to preach to y'all today. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sexual shot. But, but what is what you what, what accountability being held accountable look is is different for every person in every situation than the I guess that's the, the, the nuance there, I suppose. But so how I guess what 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 are we saying with respect to that comment in the context of uh uh, uh this prosecution of uh, uh Donald John? I mean, you gotta throw in the middle name. Yeah. Why can't? Why? Why? <laughs> why? So that that's totally unnecessary. Because <laughs> I'm tired of saying the last. No, name. I don't think it's that he feel. threw in the middle name. Imagine I think it's how I feel. <laughs> I think it's more the fact that he really harped on the middle name. It wasn't just dropping the middle name. It was really like you know enunciating Don. it right. Donald John. <laughs> John. Did he even say his last <laughs> name? It turned the, the light. He just had to put in John. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, like to your point, though, Liam. I think I think the way we kind of wrap it up in, on that is, like you just said, there are different what forgiveness looks like and what redemption looks like and what accountability looks like. That all varies from person to person. Fine, but as part of living in a society where we do have a body of laws and a court system we might disagree with individual decisions and rulings and that's all fair and good and we're allowed to in a democracy. But at the end of the day, you don't get to just say, oh, we'll throw everything out, forget all of that because, well, now it's my guy who's being held to account. Like, no, you, you, you don't get to do that. That's, that's mm-hmm. not, that's not okay. And so for someone like Trump, it's like, yes, everything he is saying about being a victim is insulting to so many communities in this country who actually have been victimized by this system. Um, But 
yeah, there's 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 no getting past the fact that he's he's snubbing and disrespecting the system at every turn, the judges, the prosecution, um, and it's really barely and only begrudgingly going through the process. And let's be like completely clear eyed about this. He's doing that just to get past this next, you know, year or so. I mean, in, oh, in what his his end game is is to keep this going and grin and bear the whole time and be an Oopsies. and be disrespectful. And then if he does win re-election, which he is trying to do, it's not because he wants to be president. It's because he just wants to have absolute power and forgive himself and pardon himself and put himself above legal accountability. Well, that now and that the goes Aline, sideways, off to the side. that's, that's the cue to, <laughs> I mean, like, we're, we're, that's, we're, the, that's, that's the end. Exactly <laughs> this is different for everyone. Like, look, I don't want. People, I want to forgive We're myself. In circles, that'll be pretty neat. No, I was trying to. I was trying to send a message. Extra. <laughs> oh, that uh, that that one of our colleagues here needs desperately needs to depart and uh, take care of some business. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, yes. His, his, All right, gentlemen. Right. Thank you. His screen is off right now, right? <laughs> is it? I can't see. See, John, no. is he there? Yeah, yeah. He's 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 taking he's. Yeah, no. John has uh has already has already gone to the facilities. He's he's taking care of some very important. Hey guys, thank you for sharing <laughs> well, all my business. <laughs> Seeing as though we can't see him, he could be doing anything. All right, guys. To do right now, it depends on is, what he chooses to do. Is my camera seriously off? Yeah, it's been off. <laughs> no, your camera's still on. We can still see you. What? We I still can... see you. You're fine. Are you guys you. there? I can't Alexa. see him. We, we, we done <laughs> Christian's there, but John's All right, gone. guys. All right. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you, guys, both. Right we gotta now. let John go because otherwise, this uh, his 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 chair <laughs> might not be the same if we are to keep him in it much longer. Thank you all for listening, watching, whatever you're doing. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, share, all the requisite social media bullshit you got to do to make a podcast work. Thank you for doing that. Gentlemen, thank you both for today. Yo, cue that theme. It's been a great conversation. All right. Bye. (laughs)